The story is told of a woman who, after a lengthy illness, died and arrived at the gate of heaven. And while she was waiting for Peter to greet her, she peeked through the gates and she saw a beautiful setting before her, a beautiful banquet table and sitting all around were her parents and other people she had loved and had died before her. They saw her and they began calling her greetings to her and they were shouting out, how are you? It's good to see you. We've been waiting for you. Peter came by and the woman said to him, this is such a wonderful place. How do I get in? And he said, all you have to do is spell a word for me. And she said, a word? What word? He said, all you have to do is spell love. She said, love, L-O-V-E. And he said, oh, that's great. And opened the gates and in she went. About two years later, Peter came to the same woman and asked her to watch the gates of heaven for him since he wanted to take a day off. And uh, while guarding the gates of heaven, the woman's husband arrived. And she said, I'm so surprised to see you. How have you been? He said, you know what? Oh, I've been doing great since you died. He said, I married that beautiful young nurse who took care of you while you were ill. And then I won the lottery, if you can believe it. And I sold that little house you and I, I lived in. I bought a big mansion for my new wife and I. And we've traveled all over the world. And we were on vacation. And I went water skiing today. And I fell. And, and the next thing I knew, I hit my head. And, well, here I am. And he said, this is such a great place. What do I do to get in? And she said, well, all you got to do is spell a word. And he goes, well, what word? She said, Czechoslovakia. You know, and, and while containing no doctrinal truth whatsoever, it is still a funny story to illustrate how easy it is to be upset with the choices made by others. And in fact, to even be angry over their choices with which we disagree. And such is the case in our continuous study of the Gospel of Luke as Luke gives us an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. A short but powerful section of Scripture. And in Luke 10, 38 through 42, we find Martha upset with her sister Mary for, as Jesus puts it, for choosing the better. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What a great passage. And the passage reveals that worship is at the heart of all we are and all that we do in the Christian life. You know, as we've learned recently, it's important that we are, you know, busy ambassadors taking God's message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, into the world. And it's also essential to be merciful Samaritans who seek to help exploited and hurting people and uh, who need to see the love of God in our own lives so that they will have a better understanding of who God is and His love for them. 
you know, but before we can represent Christ or even imitate him, you know, it's important that we must spend time with him and learn from him. And as has been mentioned, and I'll mention again, there is indeed transformation in adoration. There's transformation that occurs in adoring our God and sitting at his feet. In other words, we can never be the same after spending time with Jesus, praising him for who he is and what he has done for us. And that's really the the simplistic message of this passage. And in order to better understand it, we'll take a closer look. And if you'll notice in verse 38, uh, we're told that Jesus arrived at a certain village. And we know from John 11, 1 and 12, 1, that the village was Bethany. And according to John 11, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and her, their brother Lazarus and often would spend time with them. And he enjoyed their company and he enjoyed their hospitality. And what a great gift that is to have the gift of hospitality, to make strangers feel welcome in your home, to make them feel at home. And my prayer and my hope is that every person that ever visits our church, any person that ever comes here, feels like, you know what, I felt like I was home. I felt like people around me cared about me, and they they didn't even know who I am, but I felt loved and I felt cared for, and and it made me feel good. You know, we've been in homes like that where you go and you just feel like, wow, this is a great place to be. And you can relax and you can hang out and understand that Jesus is on his way to the cross. What a wonderful stop that was to be able to stop and feel welcomed. Because it would not be long from then that he would be very unwelcomed. He would be hated and he would be ridiculed. And as we see through scriptural accounts, he would be mocked, he would be scourged, and he would be crucified. And he stopped and he was, he was welcomed by them. And what a wonderful truth it is for all of us to make people, strangers, feel welcome in our presence. You know, and as he was there, Mary is seen in the gospel records, and on each occasion she is seen three different times. And every time that she is noted in Scripture, she is seen in the same place, and it is at the feet of Jesus. She is at his feet in this passage, listening to his every word. In John eleven thirty two, 32, she fell at his feet and cried out, Lord, if you had only been here... My brother wouldn't have died, and she shared her woes with him. God, if if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. And later, after the resurrection of Lazarus, we see in her home again, in Martha's home, where Jesus Jesus is there again, and, and Mary is at his feet. And she's washing his feet with expensive perfume and drying it with her hair. And she's expressing adoration. You know, her life was transformed through worship. She was never the same as she worshipped her God because she knew who he was. She knew who not only he was, but who she was in light of who God is. And she knew this great love that God had, that she would be merciful. He would be merciful to her, a sinner. And it just causes you to praise God. When you understand the depth of your depravity, when you understand how lost and hopelessly lost that we are, when you understand we're born in this world and we're on our way to hell and there's no remedy for us in and of ourselves and yet God reaches out and He touches us, you recognize and understand that He is most definitely worthy to be praised. And Martha was at the feet of Jesus Because she recognized that there was a priority that was established and the priority that was established was worship. And she had a sister called Mary, Martha's sister, who Mary was, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. I want you to notice the word listening and the idea that is conveyed by that word is that she continued to listen to the words words of Jesus. 
It had become a pattern of her life. When Jesus spoke, she stopped everything else and she gave him his, her undivided attention. And I think how often we're distracted in life by the busyness of the world around us. And even as we come, purposefully coming, we come, we make an effort to come to church to praise and worship God for what He's done in our life. We make an effort to get out of bed and to be here so that we can praise Him. And not only praise Him, but also offer up sacrifices uh, by being here. It's a sacrifice, you know, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, your spiritual service of worship, that you made a sacrifice to come to praise Him instead of going to do something else either sleeping or going golfing or going somewhere else you made this sacrifice and it is pleasing to God if your heart is right before God and you've also made a sacrifice to come and to hear the words of God as we open up his word and, and you've made a decision that I want to sit at the feet of Jesus, so to speak, and listen to the Word of God because there's nothing more important in my life. I've laid every other distraction aside and I'm here to listen to God's message through His messenger and I need to understand what it is that He requires of me. It's a wonderful place to be, to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. And yet so many of us, as we'll see her like Martha, we come, we say we're here for that, but we daydream and we start to drift off and we start to make mental notes of things we've got to do later today or this week or some other time. And we're so easily distracted because the enemy doesn't want us to sit at the feet of Jesus. The enemy doesn't want us to hear the word of God. The enemy doesn't want us to praise God our Savior because he knows that we're in his presence. He can't touch us. And so we've come today at the feet of Jesus to listen and hang on to every word that proceeded. Think about it. Mary lived out that man was, doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when Jesus came to her house and Jesus spoke, everything else was put on the side and she sat at his feet and she absorbed every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Every word, she hung on to everything that he said. It was time to listen. It was time to learn. You know, and, and as we'll see, according to Jesus, Mary chose the better by being at his feet. You know, one thing very clear in Scripture is that we have been given by God the freedom to make choices. But we are also warned of the danger of making wrong choices. Choose what is right and we live. Choose what is wrong and we die. Choose to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and you live because God says so. Choose to reject Him as Savior, you will die in your sins and you'll be held accountable. But it's a choice that God gives. Choose what is right. Choose what is wrong. But you have the freedom to choose. Joshua uttered his famous cry to Israel when he stated this, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served beyond the river back in Egypt or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's our choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your choice? See, we're all confronted with numerous choices each and every day, and we will answer to God for how and what we choose. In Luke 10.39, we learn that Mary's choice was commended by Jesus for she chose, as some translations say, the good part or the better part or she was choosing the better which was to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn and to worship. You know, and with that in mind, the Bible has much to say regarding listening to God's word. 
And one thing that he clearly teaches us, and we clearly learn from Mary's life, is that, you know, it, it was her desire that led her to the feet of Jesus. It was her desire that led her to the feet of Jesus. To Mary, there was nothing more important to her than being with Jesus. She heard he was coming to visit, and she was with Martha, and she helped out. And as we'll see, he says, well, doesn't it bother you, Jesus, that she left me to do the work alone? She was in the kitchen. She was helping out. But when Jesus came, it was time to stop all that busyness and sit at the feet of the master and hear what he had to say. And that's what happened. The question I have for myself and for you at this time is this. uh, Do you have such a desire? Do you have that burning passion to be alone and sit at His feet? Do you guard that time diligently? Do you spend time every day alone at the feet of Jesus? You know, obviously we could ask the question, if Jesus came to your home today, would you not set aside time to meet with Him? And the reality of it is, is that Jesus is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He wants to have fellowship with us. Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with him. It's just a matter of invitation. Do you get up each day and say, God, I, I need to have time with you alone today, and I want to sit at your feet and hear your voice so that I know not only who you are, but what you require of me this very day. It's got to be a desire. I know guys who guard their desire to golf, you know, quote, religiously. That's my time to go golfing. That's my time for my other hobbies. That's my time to do this. That's my time to do that. And all I'm saying to you is this. Hey, have the same time. Do you guard the same time? This is my time with Jesus. This is my time at the feet of my master. This is my time to hear his voice. Don't let the busyness and the distractions and the worries of the world choke out your time with God. Because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with me. And what Mary understood was, hey, Jesus is here. Nothing else matters. She had a desire. You know, the Word of God has much to say about having desire for the Word of God. If you'll go back to Psalm 19, you'll notice that the word desire is used. That we are to have a desire to be in the Word. What a great truth it is for people to say, hey, you know what? what do you, you know, think, how many times have you asked during the course of the week? Hey, what's your plans this weekend? Hey, you know what? Man, you know what? It's great. You know, Saturday, going to a men's retreat. Really? What's that all about? I don't know. Hey, you get to tell them. Sunday, got church. Can't wait to go. Really? You can't wait to go? I've been there before and I couldn't wait to leave. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? It's a desire. I mean, I want to be there. And people don't get that. They don't understand that. If you said, I'm going golfing, yeah, man, I wish I was going too, but I got some other commitment. I wish I was going here or there, but you know what? But when somebody says, man, I can't, it's my desire to go to church, to worship God, to hear his voice and his word, and to be able to fellowship with other believers. You know what? I can't think of a better place to be on a Sunday morning. It is a great time of worship and fellowship and learning. I can't wait to be there. That's the way it should be, the desire to be there, the desire to be in God's presence. Psalm 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are altogether righteous. Righteous. 
They are more desirable to me than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. I can't think of a better place to be. It is more valuable to me than all the money in the world because what God teaches is truth that transcends every area of life. And I can't wait to get into the Word of God. Psalm 42, the psalmist writes, as a, as, a, as a deer pants by the water's brook, so my soul, oh God, pants for you. I've got this desire to be in your presence because look at this. I mean, you're, you're, what you teach me is perfect. And you restore my soul when I'm down in the dumps and things are just troubling me. You know, you lift my spirits. Your testimony is sure. And it makes even the simple person like me wise in this, to the things of God and understanding. Your precepts are, are right. Your commandment is pure. They help me to see clearly. The fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever. Your judgments are true. And and all of this is just, I mean, ah, can't get enough of this. And it's right there, right here in in our hands for our disposal. The key to worship is a strong, passionate desire to hear His Word. I've had coaches all through my life and they ask the same question. How bad do you want it? How badly do you want this? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up to be able to have at the end of the day the ultimate reward of whatever it is that you're pursuing? And God says, Chuck, how badly do you want to know truth? How badly do you want to know me? How badly do you want wisdom? How badly do you want to be protected from the evil of this world? How badly do you want to know the right way to live versus the wrong way? How badly do you want me to show you how to keep from falling into the snares or the pits or the strategy and the schemes of the devil who want to destroy your life? How badly do you want to know me? You've got to desire that. You've got to want that. God doesn't force himself on anybody. He who seeks him will find him because he's not running from any of us. He's right here. He stands at the door of your life and knocks. Let him in. Spend time together. How badly? What are your desires? The truth be told, folks who don't know God don't know him because they have no desire to know him. Say, well, that sounds like just a harsh statement. It's not a harsh statement. It's a warning statement. It is a true statement. Because the Word of God says if you want to know God, you can know Him. If you seek Him with all your heart. God, if you're there, show me. If you're really there, show me. Reveal yourself to me. God answers that prayer. Those who seek Him will find Him. Because he's not far from any of us. The desire is what Mary had. The desire for the word of God must be our priority. And that desire will lead to what I call delight. Delight. Psalm 1, what a great passage it is to talk about those who delight in the word of God. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night, and He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever He does, He prospers. But His delight is in the laws of the Lord. Mary's delight was in God's Word. Mary's desire was to hear the Word of God, and she delighted in that which she heard, because she was seeking truth. 
She wasn't seeking an excuse for her sinfulness. She wasn't seeking an excuse to stay away from Him. She wasn't seeking to have justified her sin. She was seeking truth. And when she heard it, she was delighted because the truth set her free. Just like it sets us free. Is your delight in the laws of the Lord? Is your delight in the Word of God? You know, the word delight reminds me back when I was young and I was living in Pennsylvania and, you know, and playing sports in hot summer, humid days, just nasty days. And, you know, you'd have practice, two-a-day practices or whatever it was. And, you know, and you couldn't wait until they were over. And, and you would think about, oh, you know, and it's like well, we had this place near our house called Dairy Delight. And you'd just be out there thinking, man, you know what? I can't wait to have a Dairy Delight at the end of the day. And just the thought of it would get you through the day and you'd just be thinking, man, I can get through practice because there's a big old chocolate milkshake at the end of the road, man, a dairy delight. That was back in my days before I became lactose intolerant. (laughs) Now the word picture changes. But in those days, it was a delight to think about. And I think, I don't know what, you know, what delight delights you. I don't know what you look forward to say and brings a smile on your face. I knew there's a place, you know, that, that we used to live by. There was a great pizza place and from the East Coast. No one makes pizza like people on the East Coast. And there was a place that would be like, oh, man, we'd be thinking about tonight's Mama Coza night. You know, and I'd be saying, all through the day, it would get me through the day, man. I'd get to the end of the day, I'd have a smile on my face. Ah, I could smell it. Oh, Mama Coza night. You know, and it was just a delight. It was a delight to think about. And I think, how stupid am I sometimes that I would delight in a chocolate milkshake, I would delight in a pizza, but I wouldn't delight in the Word of God? When we think of God's Word, when we think of sitting at His feet, when we think that we have access to the very wisdom of God and we can open His Word, we should have the biggest smile on our face that we can delight in God's Word. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus because she desired to be there. But I know when she was sitting there, she had a smile that went from ear to ear. She delighted to be in his presence. And if you can delight to be in the presence of a chocolate shake and a pizza, you certainly and I certainly should delight to be in the presence of our Savior. What a wonderful thing that is. Does God's word put a smile on your face? Two more thoughts that relate to making worship and God's word a priority. You know, if you truly love and adore God, you'll depend upon his word. You know, Mary was hanging upon every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And if you'll read on your own Psalm 119, I want you to read it. and I want to challenge you to read it from the standpoint of, you know, we can depend upon God's word. We can depend upon God's word for victory over sin. Your word, O God, I've hid in my heart, which means I've memorized it, I meditate on it, I think about it often, because the word I've hid in my heart, you know why? So that I don't sin against you. The more that my heart is filled with your word, the more that I am confronted with evil in the world, the easier it is for me to see the difference between right or wrong, because your spirit reminds me of your word that says, Chuck, don't think like that, don't even go there, don't even do that, that is a snare, that is a strategy, that is a scheme from the pit of hell, don't buy into that. And I can depend upon God's word to, to, to give me a way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, to provide me with a way of escape from temptation so that I'm able to endure it. I can depend upon the word of God for spiritual and emotional strength. Your word, oh God, lifts me up. When I am down, you pick me up. When I am troubled, you pick me up. When I'm struggling with health issues and CT scans and MRIs and what the results are going to be, you know what, I can go to you and you'll uphold me and you'll pick me up. And I can trust in you. I can lean on you. 
and not on myself. But I can trust in you with all my heart, not leaning on my own understanding in all my ways. I know that you will acknowledge those paths, that you will set them straight, that you will remove all the obstacles. I can depend on you. I know that your word will put my priorities at straight. I know when I read Matthew 6, you say, stop worrying about everything in the world. You know what? Doesn't your father care for the birds of the sky? Doesn't he clothe all the lilies of the field? Doesn't he do all those things? What do you worry and check about all this stuff for? But you know what? Your priority should be what? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and everything else will fall into place. Put me first in your life. What's the priority? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Everything falls into order when we know the Word of God. We can depend upon it. We can depend upon God's Word to help us answer our critics. When we're, when, when we're criticized and they disagree with things, we can look to His Word to help answer that, to give us comfort in our times of difficulty, to know the difference between right or wrong. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof and for teaching, reproof for correction and training in righteousness. So the man of God is adequately equipped to do every good work that's been ordained for us to do before the foundation of the world. He gives us direction to our life. The Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, here I stand. Where do you want me to go? And if where I stand is wrong before you, I'll acknowledge that. And you can put your spotlight on me and say, Chuck, you need to repent. You need to agree with me what you're doing is wrong. You need to repent and turn from it. And now I'll show you the right way to live. We need to depend upon God's word in all these areas of life. And the beauty of the word of God is that we have peace. We have peace. This world has no peace. And the peace that this world offers is not the peace that Jesus Christ can give. He says, not as the world gives, give I to you. I give you peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's come to make a peace offering between you and God. And He would be the one who would die on the cross if we would believe and trust in Him. We would have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that knowledge of truth comes from God's truth, the very Word of God. She hung on to every word Jesus said because she knew she could depend on what came out of his mouth. And then she did it. She lived it. She acted upon it. Now, I want you to notice by way of contrast what's going on here with her sister. And there's a big contrast because it says, but Martha. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. You know, and, and, and as a result, Martha, she exaggerated the problem. See, Martha said, said the problem was, you know what? You don't care. She exaggerated the problem. The problem was she was in the kitchen busy doing the things that she was doing. Mary left her to go sit at the feet of Jesus. And she looked at Jesus and said, you know what? Not only is my sister a problem, you're a problem. And we'll stop and think about it. Don't you care? How many times do we go to God and say, don't you care, Lord? It's like, well, you know he cares. Cast all, in fact, he says, cast all your cares upon him and he will care for you. So I know that he cares. But she was distracted. Don't you care that I'm serving alone? Tell her to help me. In her criticism, there's much that we can learn, and and there are a few things as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to be with Him. Without Him, we can do nothing. 
We need to spend time at his feet so that when he sends us out as ambassadors or merciful Samaritans, we are empowered by him because we have spent time with him and we've been in his presence. There is nothing more tragic in the Christian life than trying to live the Christian life aside from Christ, apart from him. When we criticize others or accuse the Lord of not caring and we begin to pity ourselves because we're so overworked, I think it's time that we stop and examine our life. Perhaps in the busyness of our service, we've ignored the Lord. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with and critical of others, there's something terribly wrong with our service. There's something terribly wrong with our heart because our service must flow from a heart of worship. When I spend time in His presence, when I spend time in His Word, when I praise Him for who He is, and then He sends me forth, I go forth with an attitude of joy. Because I know who I serve and why I serve Him. You know, if you're bitter in your service to the Lord, then become better by sitting at the feet of Jesus. If you're bitter in serving the Lord, then it's time for you to begin to praise Him once again. Because through that adoration, you will be transformed. Transformation through adoration. Praise Him. If you are a bitter person, I would suggest that you need to spend more time at the feet of Jesus. And you need to praise Him more and complain less. I'll tell you what, all the complaints in my life are gone when I'm using the time instead praising God for who He is. I haven't struggled recently with a moment of self-pity or any of that. Because I spend my days praising my Savior. I spend my days as much as I can in the Word of God. Because when someone says, oh man, I can't believe it. I mean, you have cancer. You know, God, He can do miracles. And you hear these kind of things. Oh, if God can do miracles, then why do you, even give, why do you have cancer at all? You know how the skeptics, the cynics are. It's like, well, you know what? Oh, okay, so God, you know, oh, the, the surgery went well. But if God was really God, why would you have to have surgery at all? And these are the kind of questions that we all deal with. I said, because God allowed it for his purposes and for his glory so that I have an opportunity right now to talk to you about what the most important thing is in life, and that is, have you ever repented of your sin and trusted in Christ? This isn't about me now. It's about you. God just used what I'm going through to help you know, us have this conversation. And then I go back to the word of God, and you know, when I look at the life of Job and everything that God allowed in his life, and at the end of the day, Job said this, you know what, hey, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going out, blessed be the name of the Lord. I have nothing to complain about. It's like, who am I to complain about anything that God chooses to do in my life when he gave his son to die on the cross for me, that I could be a child of God by believing in his name? I'm not complaining to God about anything. Do I like it? No. But I'm not going to criticize him. I'm going to praise him. He's a good God. There's no question. The word of God reveals it. We just need to spend more time in God's word so that we know those truths. See, Martha didn't realize at this critical time in Jesus' life, as he was on the way to the cross, that he came by because he wanted to spend time together. And a seven-course, 20-course, 50-course meal really wasn't appropriate. All he needed was something a little bit to eat and spend time together. And what he was saying was, you know what, really there are only a few things necessary. I mean, you got this big spread, you got this big banquet, but you know, I don't need a couple things to eat. But the one thing really that's most necessary is that you and me spend time together while we have it. See, that's what he was saying. That's the message that was there. 
And but Martha figured, you know what? But God, you can't do without my serving you. And so many of us are like that. You know, the, the pastor who thinks, oh, you know what? Oh, God, what's going to happen to your church, you know, if I die? And, and God's like, hey, that's not a problem, you know. Let's go back through human history. God hasn't had a problem calling any of his saints back home again. And guess what? And his church continues to this day because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So God will raise up another person. That's not that big a deal to God. So don't ever start thinking too highly of yourself to affect sound judgment. But there are many people in Christian service who believe that. Oh, what's going to happen when Billy Graham dies? You know, who, what's God going to do then? The same thing he did before Billy Graham came on the earth. He raised somebody else up. You know, this isn't, this isn't shocking to God. Every day is ordained before yet we lived one. It's appointed the man to die once, then comes judgment. It's not like, oh, I don't, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I know, I'm God, I don't have to worry about it. It's not that big a deal. But so many of us believe that. You know, so, so many pastors think, oh, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen to this church, you know, and they, they, they dream about it. What's going to happen to the church after I'm gone? Well, at the same time, the people in the church are dreaming the same thing for a different reason. <laughs> you never know. Been there, seen it. <laughs> you know, it's like, so we all got our own desires, our own thoughts. It's like, you know, but, but and, I'm not, and I'm not minimizing human responsibility because God has given each of us a gift to use in his service for the equipping of saints to build them up for the work of ministry. We need to recognize and understand that God has chosen to use us for his kingdom and his purposes. But don't ever mistake something here. It is God's choice to use you and I. And it's by his mercy that we are in his service. Whatever he chooses to do is just fine because he's God and we're not. Not bad. See, but Martha thought, where would you be without me fixing up the grub? And he's like, hey, you know what? I'd rather have you right now sitting at my feet because it's time for us to spend some time together. You know, and, and one of the most interesting things that I have thought about this is, you know, I've been confronted with the variety of options that could occur in my life uh, regarding my health. But I've recognized that the busyness of the, uh, of the day is, is just a thief of the most important things of life. And that is to spend time with one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up in the faith. And throughout the course of these last three or four surgeries, whatever it's been, the time before those surgeries have been time where I just wanted to spend time with my family. I'm not running around going from restaurant to restaurant or activity to activity. It's just like, you know, we just, we just, just, let's just all hang out together and spend time together. And be comforted by God and comforted by one another and comforted in our faith in our God who we know is a good God. Let's not be so distracted by busyness and activities. Let's be vulnerable and open to be able to share whatever it is that we're thinking or whatever is troubling us, whatever is on our minds so that we can encourage one another. But so many people run from that because they want to fill that time with activity and busyness and activity because they don't want to deal with the deep truths of life, the deep spiritual concerns, the issues that really matter for eternity. Don't allow activity to, 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 to deceive you into believing that it is time worth spending because it's not. The deep critical things of life are the times that we spend sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from Him and then being with one another. 
It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what your travels are. None of those things matter because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what is the legacy that you left in the lives of those whom you claim to love. And my prayer is that the legacy is you left a love for your Savior and a love for the Word of God and the love for people. That's all that matters. That's what matters most. But I also see another danger, another warning here, and that's this. Martha was like so many of us and that she thought the most important thing in life was to be in the kitchen helping her at that moment in time and anybody that wasn't there wasn't on her team and wasn't a team player. And I want to warn us to not buy into that mentality because here's the way it creeps into Christendom. I have a burden for missions. And so anybody that doesn't have a burden for missions... God, don't you see that they don't, you don't care. Make them care about what I care about. I have a burden for teaching the word of God. Everybody should teach the word of God. And if you don't teach the word of God, then you don't care about teaching the word of God. God, don't you see that person? Make them care about what I care about. I have a burden for politics and to get the right people into office in our country so that we can make sound, godly decisions. And, and, and if you don't care about what I care about, then there's something wrong with you. You're not as spiritual as me. If you don't care about the unborn like I care about the unborn, if you don't care about the physically disabled like I care about physically disabled, if you don't care about people that are shut-ins and widows and orphans and people in hospital like I do, then you're not as, spiritual, as spiritually minded as me. God, make them be like me. And God says, Chuck, I don't want everybody to be like you. And in fact, nobody wants anybody else to be like you. Want to use enough. said, my body is diverse. And a hand doesn't have to be a foot, and a foot doesn't have to be a toe, and a toe doesn't have to be a tongue. And, and, and my body's diverse, and there's one head, I'm the head. But if I've given you a passion for missions, then you follow me. And if I've given you a passion to teach the Word of God, then you teach the Word of God. And if I've given you a passion for unborn, then you head up the efforts to save unborn children. And if I've given you a passage, pa- passion to put godly men and women in politics, then you head that up. But don't you ever point a condescending figure or judgmental critical spirit at a person who doesn't have the same passion as you because they have their own passion and they are to follow God in the way that God is leading. There is nothing that destroys churches quicker than having people point fingers at other people and say, why aren't you like me? Because we don't need them to be like you. We need you to be you and serve God as He has gifted you and follow Him. Let us not become people who point fingers. Let us not become a Martha who points at Mary and says, why isn't she more like me? Because what Martha learned was that Jesus was teaching her, Mary, you know, Martha, at this point, you need to be more like Mary. All of us need to be more like Mary. All of us need to sit at the feet of Jesus. All of us need to praise Him and worship Him. All of us need to be in the Word of God. For from the Word of God and in God's presence, He sends us forth and then we serve with a joyful heart. Not with a critical or condemning spirit. And that was the principle that was emphasized. He's saying to her the same thing. But only Mary, listen, you're so worried and bothered about so many things. And one of the things that bothered you most was that you wanted your sister to be just like you. And it drives you crazy that she's not. 
What destroys marriages? Every woman and every man, every husband and every wife who expects their husband or wife to be just like them. In every marriage that I officiate at, every ceremony I have the privilege of being at, I say one thing and one thing only when it comes to this. Listen, God has raised up a helpmate for you, suitable for you to compliment you, not to be just like you. Opposites attract because where you're weak, that person's strong. Stop forcing your spouse to be like you because if you're both the same, you've lost the greatest blessing God has given you on this wedding day, the present of a person who is different than you. And yet at the same time, what frustrates all of us? The fact that we're so different from one another. Drives us crazy. Why can't you think like me? Why can't you act like me? Why can't you be like me? Why don't you see what I see? And at that point, Adam said, give me the apple. (laughs) Uh, I... That's eisegesis. I read that into the passage. It's not there. And I I shared it at the men's retreat. And I said, see, these are the kind of things you never share in front of women. (laughs) So, it was, oh well. The highest priority, the good part, learning to choose the better, is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Guard against that danger of losing time for the distractions of this world. Don't let the busyness of your life crowd out the time that God wants to spend alone with you. How's your devotion life? How's your quiet time? How's your time in the Word of God? Examine your own heart because God already knows it. How much time did you spend this week open in the Word of God? How much time did you spend this week in prayer before the throne? How many of you don't even know where you put your Bible until Sunday morning and it's like, oh, where'd I put it? You know, God wants us to spend time with Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to listen to Him. Life is short and we need to choose very deliberately. You know, life doesn't automatically arrange itself into proper priorities. Amidst a thousand other duties, we must make time at Jesus' feet a priority. It's the one thing. It's the good part. We must focus on being found in the presence of God and choosing the better. On a very positive note, the good news is that Martha learned her lesson And in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when you have a chance, read it. Because we find her preparing a feast for Jesus. The twelve and also her brother and sister. We find her preparing a meal for 15 people. And there is not one evidence that she uttered a critical complaint. She served him out of joy because she had spent time in his presence. She learned to put him first. And her service came naturally as a result. She knelt down at his feet and she worshipped him in an extravagant worship. Just like Mary, her sister, worshipped and poured perfume all over Jesus' feet. Because she knew that while he was there, there was no better place to be. 
And those who criticized her said, what did you do waste all that money? I mean, it's like in today's economy, $30,000, $30, worth of perfume you dumped at his feet. And Jesus said, you don't get it, do you? It was for this moment that she had those resources to shower upon me. She is preparing me for my burial. And the reason that God had entrusted those resources to her was for that historic moment in time where God would record it throughout all of human history. She used what God had given her as God had ordained it to be used in his service to worship him. And so should we. Choosing the better, the good part, the one thing, listening to God's word doesn't call, call us into some you know, monastery light lifestyle, but to action that's rooted in God's word. And in closing, we must act, actually listen to the word of God when it's preached by reading it for ourselves and hearing Christ's voice and doing what he calls us to do. Billy Graham once told a story about the word-centeredness of his father-in-law, Dr. Nelson Bell. When Bell served as the single doctor, think about this, he was the single doctor for a 400-bed hospital in China, he made this point. He said, to rise every morning at 4.30 and spend two to three hours in Bible reading. He didn't use that time to read commentaries or to write. He didn't do his correspondence or any of other work. He just read the scriptures every morning, and he was a walking Bible encyclopedia. People wondered at, the, wondered at the holiness and the greatness in his life. He was the only doctor in a 400-bed hospital. And he got up at 4.30 in the morning so that he would be empowered by God and God's presence to go out and live that day and make a difference for the kingdom of God. And people wondered what a holy man that he was. And I hear people say, I don't have time to read the Bible. You know what? Yeah, you do. You just don't make time. There's always time. We all have the same number of hours in the day. God gives us an equal gift to everybody. Just make time. Make time to be in his presence. Make time to worship him. Make time to meditate on the word. Make time to memorize the word of God. Make time to be with him and he will empower you to live a life that reflects his character in you. Make time this week because when you do, people will see Jesus in you. And you can share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are you the way that you are? Because I spend time in the presence of my God. My prayer, my hope, is that the same will be said of us. That we are found choosing the good part. Choosing that which is better. Choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have access to it. And God, I pray that you would help us to prioritize our time better, better time management. Shut the TV off. Shut the radio off. Shut the distractions of this life off so that we can spend time alone together. Turn off the cell phones. Turn off the pagers. Turn off all the commotion of the world. And just spend time alone with you. There's nothing better. It's the good part. It's learning to choose the best. And we thank you that you empower us through your presence as we worship you. And as we learn from your word to go out and to serve you with joyful hearts, with a smile on our face that attracts people to your cross, to your throne of grace, 
that they may find mercy in this desperate time of their need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.